Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Instead of protecting our elections, he caved to Abrams and cost us two Senate seats, the Senate majority, and gave Joe Biden free reign. Think about how different it would be today if Kemp had fought Abrams first instead of fighting Trump. Kemp caved before the election, and the country is paying the price today. It's time for a change. So, Robert Gibbs, from one son of the South to another, good to see you, brother. Good to see you. That was former uh, Senator David Perdue uh, announcing that he will join the governor's race uh, in Georgia, uh, which will royal the Republican Party there. He'll challenge Brian Kemp. He'll do it at the urging of, uh, of Donald Trump, still pissed that Kemp wouldn't uh, overturn the verdict of voters in Georgia and hand him the state. And who better to explain internecine Republican warfare then erstwhile Republican Bill Crystal. Bill, good to see you. Good to be with you. I think many people are better equipped to explain this, but I'm happy to chime in occasionally as you and Robert explain everything to Well, to you're the listeners. best you're the best we have right now, so give it yeah, a go. Yeah. I know. It's like <laughs> it's fine, you know, they never know later on that was it Tom was it Tom Brady, a sixth round pick or something yeah, like that? Yeah, exactly. We're, exactly. we're we're also checking our papers and we find, Bill, that you've been scheduled. So uh you're up. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Come on, you you have all that. You know, you have the. You're a voice of authority. You opine in the, uh, in the, in the uh, faux pages of the Bulwark and whatever you call them these days. So anyway, so what do you make of this uh, this primary? Because to me, uh, this is the downside of Trump for the Republican Party. I mean, this is a fully a vengeance mission. Uh, you know, Purdue wouldn't have gotten in this race without Donald Trump. Yeah, it's a vengeance mission, but it's also a 2024 mission. I think people are a little, you can fixate on Trump's psychology, which God knows is worth, I guess, I don't know if it's worth fixating on, but it's certainly worth mentioning. It's kind, as of, a, kind of a funhouse there, but yeah. Yeah, but he wants to run for president. He wants to have the chance to win Georgia, even if he falls a few thousand votes short again. And, you know, whatever, the one thing he learned from 2020 is that you need to have loyalists in key positions in key states to overturn election results or, or, or ahead of time, adjust the election rules to disadvantage Democrats just to, enough, perhaps. And he thinks David Perdue will do that. And Perdue getting in basically has almost announced he's going to do that because what does it well, we mean just heard he it. criticizes his case? Yes. Yeah, we just heard it. And it was actually interesting. He, did, he actually was pretty specific. He said ahead of the election, Kemp didn't do what he should have done, i.e. Kemp let a record number of people vote in Georgia with yeah. no irregularities, apparently. Uh, and that can't be permitted again. So I, I think, again, people are a little underestimating how purposeful Trump is being and not just try, taking over the party. That's pretty obvious. But in arranging things for a, a primary, of course, primary victory, but then a general election in 2024. But it should it, should it not be lost on people, though, that David Perdue, to put a finer point on this, David Perdue would never have gotten into this race if he wasn't known as a former U.S. senator because the former president was not obsessed with electing two Republican senators in January, but obsessed with litigating an election that he lost. Republican won a statewide race during that runoff for public service commission, I think. They lost two Senate races because – a former president flew in repeatedly telling people, don't worry about voting, it's all rigged, and therefore they didn't vote and the election came. I, I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm a little stunned by, um, by the, you know, the, the, the orchestration is a little um, ham-handed at best, but it's also, it's interesting that we've, we've plucked from the ashes a defeated Senate candidate uh, as the person who's somehow going to unite uh, and and rebuild the Republican Party. I will note, Governor Nathan Deal's former spokesperson said um, Sherman left more standing in Georgia than this primary will. Just for a bit of historical quotes. Okay, I gotta I gotta mull that over in my my head here. And while I'm doing that, um, well, you know, Bill, I want to get to your larger point uh, about sort of the fact that Trump, for all of the uh, for all of the what Robert says, ham-handedness, and for all of the blunderbussing that he does, is being quite strategic about setting up the 
the uh, the election in advance. I, I just want to put a pin in that discussion for one second, though, um, and say that because the point I was making is he is a major player in shaping what 2022 is going to look like. And, and in all cases, not necessarily great for the Republicans. This primary is going to be a titanic struggle unless Kemp, you know, folds, which I doubt that he will do. I guess he could. Um, but, you know, you do have Stacey Abrams uh, running there, who's proven herself to be a formidable Democratic candidate in a state that has become competitive. We don't know what the situation will be in 2022. I mean, doesn't this, I'm asking both of you guys, this, doesn't this kind of screw the Republicans a little bit? Doesn't mean they can't win, but doesn't it make it harder to have this kind of a battle? Uh, yeah, it it does certainly, and Trump. That's a, a. I don't know that we have rhetorical question music. No, no, but, but also but you mean, guys recognize one when you. We, when we you do hear occasionally, it. yeah. Sometimes, I don't know, yeah. Trump's uh, first interest is not the Republican Party. You'll be surprised to hear it's himself, and he'd prefer slightly. He'd prefer to give up a couple of races. Uh, you know, risk a couple of races uh, if the uh, at the expense of having people who are truly indebted and loyal to him. I think that's if you want to put it in a rational way. There's a lot of vengeance and just spite and all that going on here. It does mean Georgia really, which was the center of the political landscape, obviously on January 5th, to some degree on November 3rd in 2020, and then January 5th, 2021, will be again. I mean, think of it, as you say, we got the Republican primary now for governor. We might have one for senator. It's hard to know how much Herschel Walker will get opposed. We have Stacey Abrams as the Democratic nominee for governor, obviously Senator Warnock, and then two huge elections, general election struggles. Um, And, you know, Stacey Abrams wins in Georgia in 2022. She's absolutely, in my opinion, I defer to you guys on this, top tier in terms of future Democratic national candidates, uh, maybe as early as 2024, depending on what happens. So, uh, and of course- That's going to be an issue, by the way. And the well, Kemp, she said yeah. yesterday. And the Kemp-Purdue thing, I mean, bec- becomes a real test, I think. I mean, someone texted me earlier this morning, as, should we never Trump, you know, we, we, we're we not really happy with Kemp yeah. in many ways, but maybe we need to help Kemp against Purdue. I don't know if we can help him, honestly, but we should try to funnel some help to him against Purdue. And I don't know, that race could be very close and Titanic, or it could be a blowout, I suppose, for, for Purdue. I mean, how much? I don't know. Yeah, that's know. a tough that's a tough one for for never Trumpers because you know Kemp himself, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, he signed he signed this uh, this this law in Georgia that is going to make it uh, more difficult for people to vote, but it also uh, and more significantly, I think, uh, has these voter nullification provisions that allow the legislature to just toss right. out uh, election administrators if they don't like. Uh, uh, if they don't like the results, and I mean, it's just it is a foreshadowing of uh, of of very dark things. But so Kemp, it's not like Kemp is, you know. I mean, he's. But I wonder if he gets forced into how does he deal with Trump? You know, you know, Trump is popular. Uh, Trump is for the other guy. How does Kemp deal with that, Robert? Um. I don't. I don't know. I think it's going to be. A, I think this will be extremely hard to navigate because I think Kemp's tendency will be to play up his conservatism and play up his what he's done to make sure elections aren't quote unquote stolen and all these things. The, the challenge I think coming over top of that is the Supreme Republican validator and Donald Trump saying that guy didn't do it right. Um, and it's interesting, you know. David Perdue in the announcement video that you played, I mean, picks right up on this idea that if boy, if if Brian Kemp were were had been fighting for us, none of this would would be happening. And I think it'll be interesting to see if you know is that really the the smoke that he has to fight through? Do people do? I mean, I I don't. You, if you're Kemp, you can't say, well, now wait a minute, all this stuff was fair. Because again, I don't think that's going to. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to get the right. I, I think Kemp's in a world of hurt, obviously. And I will say this: you mentioned this. I think there is, I think there are a lot of interesting states in the 2022 cycle, and I think we've talked about, and a lot of the people of places have gotten excitement. You know, Texas, you know, Pennsylvania, which I think we may talk about. And to me, there's nothing that's going to right. be more fascinating than Georgia. Because Absolutely. For, for Democrats, they've got to find a state that they're actually increasing their vote in year over year. Um, and in reality, the new you, you started this this uh, introduction of the New South. I mean, it's 
culturally, it's been New South for decades. Um, politically, it, it's never gotten to where people thought it was going to get. Um, yeah, that's why you live in the north, right? <laughs> save for um, <laughs> save for what you've seen now. And I think, you know, as Bill said, it's it's a it's a primary, it's a gubernatorial election with somebody with an enormous. Uh, national profile. She said yesterday, or campaign did, that she'd serve her, f- her full term if she was elected in 2022. Uh, and I think she, she uh, kind of has to say that. Sure, uh, we said that. Uh, <laughs> we said that. I think in uh, in 2004, as I recall, after uh, the morning after the uh, Obama race. Yes. Um, but I told uh, you not to lie, but you insisted. Well, it wasn't me. Who <laughs> no, said it. It no, was a, no, it was no. A I'm taller, just skinny, bigger eared fella. Yeah, I remember him. I remember him. <laughs> um, but no, but I think and 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 you know the Senate races, the congressional races, I, I, and the and the demographics. Uh, I, I think will be. I, I, to me, there's nothing more fascinating. Well, look at the, the stakes are enormous in yeah. in 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 Georgia. I mean, if her, if Herschel Walker can run to the end zone. All right, I did it uh, in this in this race and and defeat uh, Senator Warnock, Reverend Warnock. Um, you know that that could be control of the Senate right there. So I mean that uh, that alone will have. But Bill, ti- do you see how, how does Kemp navigate all this? I mean, yeah, I was thinking about. So I think what Kemp would like to do, I'm 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 guessing, and I'm sort of on the side of not being too pro Kemp either because he's been. Well, he's you been shouldn't so destroy terrible. his career by endorsing him. I, no, I'm not. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I'm not endorsing him, but yeah. but uh, quite the contrary. But. I think he'll try to be Glenn Youngkin, right? So I mean, Youngkin navigated this in Virginia by defeating the Trumpier candidates, it, but it wasn't a primary, it was a convention. Very important to the Repo- Virginia Republicans kind of cleverly in a way, in retrospect. Uh, I'm not sure Youngkin wins a primary here, and Virginia is not Georgia. And Kemp and Kemp is a more, and Purdue is a more substantial opponent than the ones Youngkin had. So those are all reasons why it's going to be hard to be Youngkin in the primary and then, you know, and then be acceptable in the general election that's going to be what kemp's theory of the of the case has got to be something like that though i suppose but i'm dubious about it but riddle me this you guys yesterday steve bannon on his podcast blasted david purdue and called him a, a globalist and uh we don't need another khaki pants you know roll up is it basically it was you know so by and which really struck me as odd because uh you know Certainly, Yunkin, who was a managing partner of uh, Carlisle, a big uh, private equity firm, would qualify under that standard, uh, and and Bannon was all in for him. So, what do you think? What what would cause Steve Bannon to go sideways with Trump on this? I mean, there's another person running, I think, who is much Trumpier, and maybe someone else will get in. You know, the one thing about these movements, and this is true, of course, of all, I guess, all, all movements, but maybe particularly about this kind of authoritarian sort of movement is there's always people more radical even than you or and it's perfectly true that Purdue is not was not a some kind of no no populist in the past he was just a totally establishment wealthy Georgia Republican you know yeah he's a wild-eyed capitalist yeah so you could get a three-way primary is it crazy is it totally impossible that someone I mean people forget Trump endorsed the incumbent senator what was his name uh uh, in Alabama Robert State there in 2017 Yes. And uh, uh, and lost and law and he lost yes. to Roy Moore and who ran as a Trumpier candidate though not endorsed by Trump is it inconceivable that Kemp gets pinned between uh, uh, the Purdue gets pinned in a way between Kemp the incumbent governor and a Trumpier challenger things get kind of it's a crazy moment in that yeah. you know things are more fluid and unpredictable in these cases I think than than people realize. Actually, you lost me when you 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 said Bannon was giving out uh, advice on fashion uh, about wearing khakis because uh, I think if we've ever seen a picture of him like wearing three sweaters as he's getting indicted or something like uh, yeah I, I mean well he yeah, favors I mean, he favors black we know that P- so. Purdue Purdue does have I mean I think he was a former CEO so he does have this sort of you know kind of international business background I guess that would make him a quote unquote he's a cl- he's your classic sort of corporate Republican I yeah. mean there's I mean Bannon has a point there the question I think for bill is like you know can, can that third candidate if if and i do think there is one but if that can that third candidate get enough um raise enough money to 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 be a player in what i mean I, it will be interesting to watch because you know you've got a obviously an enormous business community in atlanta that just is probably watching this um a bit of gas at um 
at, at what they're seeing because I mean, it's just they, they. I mean, the two candidates started even before the video that Purdue put out on over the weekend, just tearing each other apart. Um, and uh, you know, I can imagine um, a lot of establishment figures who have watched the the party disappear from what they presumed it was even a few years ago to watch this is, um, I, I mean, look, yeah. I, and if you're Stacey Abrams in the democratic party, you've got to think, wow. Th- I mean, you, you, it's hard to imagine you could get luckier, right? Yeah. H- hard to imagine that you could, you could find yourself in a scenario. Well, I think she saw this coming. She got in last week. I don't think she got in. Right. I don't, I'm not sure she would have gotten in if she didn't foresee a bloody, uh, Republican primary. All right. Hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. And now a word from our sponsors. You know, growing up, walking down the cereal aisle as a kid was one of the real treats in life. I mean, you're slowly walking down, you're looking at all these colorful boxes, and you're trying to decide what's going to be your cereal of choice that week. Yeah, the challenge is, as you get a little older and perhaps uh, a little wiser, you realize it tastes great because all that stuff is full of sugar and junk that you really shouldn't eat. So now we're all trying to eat a little bit better, but we're also trying to make sure that a healthy breakfast isn't a boring breakfast. And well, that's where Magic Spoon comes in. Magic Spoon has the amazing flavors you love, but without all that bad stuff. And it's amazing even as a midnight snack. I've been trying to cut down on carbs and sugar and unhealthy food and realized I I basically can't eat just anything I want to anymore. And my breakfast has been protein shakes and powders and all that kind of stuff. But again, I've finally found a delicious way, and you can too, to get protein before and after workouts and to make your breakfast not boring. Magic Spoon is zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and as I mentioned, low-carb. Here's the best thing. You can build your own box from all of the available flavors to build something custom for you out of cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and cream, and even maple waffle. Look, I tell you, and I've said this before, a little peanut butter and a little cocoa, there's no better way to start your morning. It sounds perfect. And Magic Spoon has just recently brought back the two super popular flavors I just mentioned, cookies and cream and maple waffle permanently. When those flavors were introduced for a limited time, they sold out extremely quickly. So now you can make sure to get them again and again and enjoy that not boring breakfast. Go to magicspoon.com hacks to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code HACKS at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed by a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com hacks and use the code HACKS to save $5. Trump also played a role in uh, a decision that uh, Republicans are almost certainly going to lose a governor's seat in Massachusetts now. Charlie Baker was an enormously popular governor, but he was anti-Trump. Trump Trump, uh, endorsed a wackadoodle against him. And and Baker dropped out last week. He said it wasn't about that. But uh, the fact is he would have had to have a uh, a, a kind of messy Republican primary with with the right, uh, you know, and there is some of that in Massachusetts in a, in a primary. Um, so, uh, you know, Trump is having a, an impact even, uh, you know, even in places where he's not particularly popular. Yeah, and he doesn't care about Massachusetts. He's not going to win it in 2024, and they're not going to win it at the federal level in any of these races. And so, from his point of view, it gets you know Trump's happy about this, right? It gets really although similar. you know one one in one. I mean, this is a macabre thing to say, but you know one of the things that has worried Democrats is you've got older senators 
in states like Vermont and Massachusetts, and God forbid something should happen to one of them, there's a Republican governor sitting there who could report who could appoint uh, their replacement. When you have a 50-50 Senate or anything close to it, that actually becomes meaningful. But I don't know. You know, it's an interesting question. I, so I was in Massachusetts a couple of weeks ago. I'd say three weeks ago and talked to one of someone very close to Baker. Baker at the time, I think, was more inclined to try to run as an independent than as a Republican because mm. he was worried that they were worried they couldn't beat the Trumpy state. I think he was a former or maybe current state assemblyman or something in the primary. Uh, they thought they could win as an independent. And Baker rather liked the idea of being an independent going forward. There's none of that. Are you supporting Trump in 2024? You can support whichever party you want. Interesting, you can, yeah. You could say in terms of the Senate. You know, you, you might appoint might someone who wouldn't caucus with McConnell or yeah. with Schumer. You they know, also you, have a rule there, as you'll remember, Robert, painfully, uh, that they, they have a thing where you appoint a temporary replacement yeah. and then they have a special election, which is how Scott Brown shattered our hopes and dreams uh, in, uh, in 2010. I do remember that. Yeah, that was painful. One of the things that I find interesting out of the the Virginia race, the governor's race, and, and as you mentioned, Bill, it was a convention, not a primary. So Trump didn't play an enormous personal role. Um, Terry McAuliffe, the former governor and Democratic nominee, tried to introduce Trump repeatedly into the environment. But the takeaway from a lot of people coming out of that race was, Boy, Trump just doesn't have the juice anymore as the boogeyman. I wonder how how does this get changed in a world in which he's basically the executive director of the Senate campaign committee? Um, I mean, he's or and and maybe even the Republican governors association and has tried to put governors in in states that are on the bubble for twenty twenty four, which no one right. much thought Virginia would be thinks Virginia would be. So I totally right. agree. I think Democrats should. I think they're learning the wrong lesson from Virginia. And I say this as someone who's in Virginia and supportive of color. If they think, oh, Trump doesn't work, it didn't work in an off year gubernatorial election in a state that thought nothing much was that thought at the end of the day we're going to be governed reasonably okay by both these people and it's not going to matter much and Trump is kind of not a factor. In a state that could be subject to election issues in 2024 and, a st- and certainly in federal races for Senate or Cong- or the House, I don't agree that Trump – I think Democrats would make a mistake in thinking that they – the argument that we cannot let a Trumpy Republican Party run the federal government or part of the federal government or run our state government, yeah. I think that has more oomph than people think. Yeah. I think that I think it's TBD. I think you may be right, and I think it's probably a combination of both. I mean, I think Democrats have to. I mean, McAuliffe basically put so many eggs in that basket, and of course, he, you know, he made some really desperately bad mistakes that that impacted on him. So, yeah, we tend to do this. We tend to generalize from whatever just happened and sort of. You know, the the world is in front of you, but we get on the and look at on the back of the truck and and look at at, at what just happened. The other crazy thing that uh, evolved in the last couple of weeks is this Pennsylvania Senate race, because that's a race that's up for grabs. It's an open seat. It's a swing state. Should be a competitive thing. Both parties are sort of uh, have weird challenges uh, on the Republican side. I think the front runner right now may be Doctor Oz. I'm not sure. Uh, who just got in the race, crossed the border from his mansion in New Jersey to declare that he'd be running for uh, senator from Pennsylvania. But because Trump's candidate had to drop out when he was uh, cited for domestic abuse, there was a wide open race. And and, uh, I don't know, uh, the Wizard of Oz uh, drops in there. So I, I mean, I see he's getting pummeled online for all kinds of liberal trespasses, uh, you know, on choice and other issues that may uh, that liberal may make trespass. How about just wacky shit? Well, I don't know. Wacky shit hasn't always prevented people from getting elected. So let's turn to the the, the, the Democratic side uh, because the lieutenant governor there, John Fetterman, who's kind of a Jesse Ventura of the left. Uh, kind of guy is currently running away with that race. I think a lot of people, a lot of party leaders would uh, prefer to see Connor Lamb, uh, the moderate congressman from Western Massachusetts there, but he's going to have to get on the stick here because right now Fetterman is, uh, uh, he's outraising him by four to one. He's, uh, and he's, you know, he's got, he's got a following there and he's unconventional in a way that gets attention 
Um, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in that race, uh, but uh, but you know, uh, both parties have have uh, have problems. I mean, there are a couple of other candidates I should say, progressive candidates from eastern the eastern part of the state. One African American legislator uh, and a county politician from uh, suburban, a woman from suburban. Uh, uh, Philadelphia. So, I mean, there, there'll be a scramble, but, um, you know, there too, Trump has had an impact already by endorsing the domestic abuser. I mean, there are a couple of local Trumpy candidates, I think, state legislators in Pennsylvania. And if Oz turns out, I'm sort of dubious that he could end up being a Trumpy. He doesn't seem to be, he's a flake and I don't think he'll ever make dangerous, that. I think, in terms of the anti-vax stuff and all this, but he's not, I'm sort of dubious that he, be, that he actually gets the Trumps, he may get Trumps personal support, maybe not, but I don't think he gets Trumpy voter support ultimately. And so, but Dave McCormick's going to get in that race, who is, uh, uh, you know, very well off, yeah. uh, let's see, Yunkin type, let's just say. I mean, a bit of a smart, I know him a little bit, very smart, intelligent guy. He'll run the, as untrumpy as you can be without actually taking on Trump. So he'll try to do the Yunkin thing. So again, I think in both parties, we'll have interesting tests of the future, right? I mean- Jeff Bartos, who's a wealthy businessman, right. was the guy who sort of drove- Parnell out of the race. And Pennsylvania, you know, there's no runoff. There's no nothing. You could get the right. nomination with 28% of the vote. Well, that's probably what the, uh, the good doctor is counting on, right? Yeah. Just his celebrity will get him to 28 or But what do you guys think? Vote. So we have an internal bulwark. We like bulwark dispute or, and, and defending democracy together dispute in that we like Connor Lamb. Well, Connor Lamb's not kind of Democrat, but Jonathan Last in particular, who's very shrewd about these things, often says Fetterman will win easily and Fetterman will be will win the general and Fetterman could be a huge national figure. And we're underestimating Fetterman when we say that, oh, he's kind of a lefty because he actually has all kinds of appeals to sort of non-lefty voters in certain ways. Do you guys think that's right? I mean, that, that Fetterman is sort of big upside, big some downside, but also big upside with Fetterman? I, I don't know him at all. So, I mean... Certainly big. He's six foot eight. <laughs> right. But uh, no, he's sort of a Bunyan-esque character, and he fashions himself as kind of a working-class populist. So, uh, you know, he's, an, like I said, he's a kind of Ventura character. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. The question is, um, how would he play in uh, in the suburbs of Philly, which is important to any Democrat? Uh, and I guess what the, you know the question there is: Do the Republicans put up a candidate who do they put up a Yunkin type candidate who can do well in those suburban areas or not? I think there are a lot of steps to before you we anoint him as a new force in national politics. But I mean, it, you should go and look at his videos. I mean, he's you know he's a form he's a formidable performer. And uh, and he does have a very, uh, you know, very sharp populist uh, kind of message. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. And there's a libertarian streak to him. There's a rural streak to him. You know, there's um, I mean, I think he, th- there's to me, Bill, I think it's it's it could be big upside or big downside. Right. I mean, it could be a little bit of both. Um, I mean, a, a Connor Lamb, you you know, you you. Is somebody you would think of as a as a, a relatively good statewide candidate because he comes from uh, much more of the middle of the road. The question I think always for a candidate like that is, you know, how do you get how do you get Philadelphia excited? How do you get to some degree those suburbs excited? Um, I, I think, and, and you know, you've got a, a will be I assume a very closely contested gubernatorial race. Uh, with a two-term governor that's that's leaving. So uh, again, uh, not not unlike Georgia, a, a, a fascinating state to watch, both in the primary on both sides, and then ultimately in a general election. That you know, the state has been remarkably close in the last two presidential campaigns, and I got to think the atmospherics in a place like Pennsylvania are uh, are not extraordinarily good right now for Democrats. Yeah, no, I'm rooting for for Lamb, but I just because I. I just, you know, the Abrams Fetterman ticket will be will be lit in the summer of 20, <laughs> at, at the Democratic convention in 2024, and I just, I, w- I just want people to notice that this was this was said on December 7th, 2021. Speaking about lit, you know, there is a photo of Fetterman standing next to like a 10 foot joint. <laughs> He's way out there on on legalization, and I think that's again, I think that's one of those interesting appeals that. You know, does that get younger people excited? Does that get people who, and I don't mean just because it's drug legalization, but like somebody who 
is in politics but doesn't look like or sound like a politician. Because to your point, David, I mean, he's he doesn't. I, I would. I, I'd like to see him in the Senate only watch him show up for work in a blue suit and a red tie. I, I think that would be um, – that might break the internet. Uh, well, yeah, he's he'll have to go out and get that. At the big, <laughs> the, he's probably it's at the big, big, and tall and tall, store. big and tall man store right now. Let's take a short break and hear from our sponsors. Yes, folks, it's that time of year, and you've probably seen, I don't know, a thousand gift guides for the holiday season. Great gifts for your mom, great gifts for guys and girls, gifts even for your neighbor's cousin's dog. You could study all those gift guides and shop at 10 different places, or you could start shopping at Raycon and get the gift everyone will use. That's Raycon wireless earbuds. Now, normally, I would tell you why I love these so much, but I'm going to use the celebrity endorsement of none other than Hacks on Tap's Mike Murphy, who loves his Raycon wireless earbuds. They're a game changer for him. They're clear. They're crisp. He loves it. They give him and you amazing audio quality wherever you go. Whether you use them to work out, wind down, go to work, just take a walk, they're useful for anybody on your holiday list. And even better, they start at half the price of other premium audio brands. With their latest model, you get three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds its very best with just the right amount of bass. And let me tell you, Murphy is very particular about his bass. You can use them in pure mode while you're listening to melodious podcasts like this. You can try balance mode for rock and heavy metal or bass mode for hip hop and reggae. Yep. I can't exactly picture Murphy listening to hip hop or reggae, but that's, I hope, an image that takes you through the rest of the day. Raycons are available in five stylish colors, so you can pick a perfect one for everyone on your list. With free shipping and returns, gifting is easier than ever. The holidays are coming up faster than you think. Now is the time to knock out that gift list and avoid the last-minute shipping and shopping scramble, especially because right now, Listeners here will get 15% off site-wide with the code HOLIDAY at buyraycon.com slash hacks. Go to buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash hacks and use code HOLIDAY, H-O-L-I-D-A-Y, today to get 15% off your entire Raycon order. Buyraycon.com slash hacks. Did you guys read Bart Gelman's piece in the uh, Atlantic? I did last night, yeah. Yeah. I mean, talk about, I mean, that makes you want to grow, uh, go out and grab a 10-foot joint uh, and smoke every bit of it. I didn't know what we were grabbing after reading that piece. I didn't know if it was, <laughs> well, you know. A sharp instrument. <laughs> right. I mean, no, but it, it speaks to the point you were making at the beginning, Bill. And I know you spent a lot of time thinking and worrying about this, but it was basically Trump's the you know the, the the next coup is already underway and it's a lot of it is you know some of it is about the radicalization that is going on uh among you know the base voters but the uh the up uh, and and that's quite you know disturbing and timely given january 6th coming up but the other uh uh the the other piece of it is just all the steps that Trump is taking to try and subvert the election system before the next election, you know, replacing local officials. I mean, we hear about the secretaries of state. We hear about the governors, but also local officials all over the country uh, where, you know, fealty to the idea that the last election was stolen is the uh, coin of the realm for candidates who he's supporting for those things and trying to engineer their appointments. And I want to just be to be fair to everybody here. I don't think it's just Trump that's doing this. I mean, I you know, I, I, I look. I don't think Trump has an attention span. To no, get, no, I to get really local. But no. I, but I think when you look at done in his name, let's say that right. But I mean, I do think that it is interesting. You've got, you know, I mean, I, my guess is that there's there's states and and places that are. Um, that didn't want to see what happened on January 6th happen, but are still taking the steps that underpin allowing something like that 
uh, to happen again in in after the 2024 election. Um, I think it's become a dangerously mainstream idea for um, for for a, a good portion of the Republican Party, not simply just the the. I mean, maybe maybe that is it. The Trumpy part of the Republican Party is indeed the takeover is is complete. That's what yeah. makes it so dangerous. And I thought that's why Gelman's piece is good because he really makes clear that. I mean, it's happening in a disorganized and chaotic and somewhat ham-handed way. It's Trump. It's the people around Trump. There's this huge amount of grift and foolishness and idiocy and 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 stuff that will backfire at least somewhat. But at the end of the day, if you sort of had to pick up some book, how would an authoritarian really, you know, damage and maybe destroy democracy in the United States? You'd have to do it at every level, right? You'd want mobs of people. You'd want the voter base believing that the last election had been stolen, all the barriers to violence being eroded, a kind of mob, sense of mob activity going on at everything from school board meetings to to election uh, officials. You'd want stuff happening at the state level, at least in key states, getting loyalists in there, willing to overturn elections. You'd want the kind of legislation you described in in Georgia, uh, uh, David. You'd want at the national level, the elite Stefanics of the world running the House Republican Party and Kevin McCarthy hopping to it when you said, you know, saying how high when, when you said jump, if you were Trump at the at the terms of the national, you'd want the donors so intimidated that they're not really going to unite to oppose Trump in twenty twenty three four probably, but are going to sort of sit on, wish, wring their hands and wish that some people get in the race and one of them could beat Trump, but not actually do much because they're intimidated. I it, I think Gelman's piece was good in showing you that whatever the there's not some genius mastermind, Trump is not that, but that uh, it's things are happening at every level that should come together should make us worried. If only one or two of them were happening, you'd say, well, okay, but the the establishment will stop it, or the donors will stop it, or the state level stuff couldn't work like last time because there'll be decent state officials. But at each level, you look for the guardrail and you see that it's being eroded. Yeah, you don't have to be a genius to figure this out, of course, Bill, because you just outlined the whole plan uh, <laughs> right here. So Bill is pretty smart, though. No, well, Gelman, Gelman. That was just based <laughs> yeah. on Gelman. I'm, I'm ascribing that to Gelman. We're going to blame the Atlantic. We're going to blame the Atlantic read this, magazine you gotta, for this. You got to read. You got to read this piece. It is. It is. Uh, it's very, very, very disturbing. You know, right. I think we're all aware, but when you pull it all together, right? Uh, it is a really, really disquieting uh, picture. To bring it full circle, now you know. Again, look at the announcement video of a traditional very establishment Republican in Georgia saying Brian Kemp, our Republican governor is what unleashed all of this nationally that he's the, he's the, he's the one who's who caused, um, you know, us to lose two Senate seats and Donald Trump to lose. I mean, it's, it's astounding that you, you know, I mean, again, we've seen this happen for, for years, but just when you start to, as you said, add it all together and see it um, now I know why you, you were grabbing for the ten foot joint and, and not like a, a gun or a fence or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I wish we were all together because I would share it with you. But <laughs> uh, uh, one thing that I I, I wonder is um, why so little attention, at least on the Democratic side, is being paid to secretaries of state races. You would think there would be an enormous amount of uh, money and attention being paid uh, to those races because that's another place where these guys are going. Obviously, in Georgia. They're trying to knock off Raffensperger uh, to take, you know, we and we saw the pivotal role that he played. There's an open Secretary of State race in uh, in Arizona, another pivotal state. I mean, you know, in in all of these states, there are there there are really uh, important secretaries. I don't know why Democrats aren't elevating these races. Uh, to, I think in some uh, cases they are. I just think it's been hard to to break through. I mean, I think if it hasn't been on hacks on tap, it hasn't been elevated, man. This should have happened months ago, but we're not doing it because nobody is talking about it. If you guys could only see the smoke wafting from Axelrod's ten <laughs> foot joint right now, I can barely um, see you guys. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't disagree. I mean, look, I think there's there are a lot of him. You know, there's the the, the states that are going to elect those uh, those secretaries of state this year. I mean, the the closeness that we had in six or seven states, the challenge of how quickly that could flip and what that could mean. Um, will will be enormous. And I, I, my my hunch is that by the time we get into next year. Uh, because my guess is, and you see it in states like Arizona where, where, um, uh, 
you know, Trump is trying to 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 uh, you know put his foot on the gas and uh, his shoulder to the wheel in the Senate race, in the Secretaries of State race, in the Secretary of State race, uh, and, and other places because uh, of exactly what the Gelman well, piece outlined and what Bill said. If I were a big Democratic donor or a Republican donor of good conscience, uh, I would be uh, investing heavily in yep. candidates of integrity uh, for secretaries of state because they're, you know, it, you talk about the erosion of the guardrails. There has to be some effort to hold the line on some of them here. And that would be a spot. Hey, listen, we got Bill Crystal here. I got to take advantage of his expertise which is vast. I mean, I can't take advantage of all of his expertise. Oh but just God. on here two, we go. here we go. Two, Nothing good is going to come of this. Two <laughs> particular it's things. Be a great segue, though, Bill. Yeah, Bill, yeah. among the many, many uh, highlights of your long and distinguished career was your stint as the chief of staff for Vice President Dan Quayle, who, despite your be- best efforts and probably more than he deserved, was the butt of a lot of jokes. Uh, during the during that term, particularly early in the the term and and so on, spelling errors and so on, but he became you know it became a thing. Um, what do you make of where uh, Kamala Harris is right now? Are you having uh, are sympathy pains or, I mean, I, I we should talk about this a little only because only because this has now become a thing. It's now a media meme. She's in trouble. She's got staff turmoil. Uh, people are, you know, she's the she was the putative front runner if Biden didn't run. Now everybody's panicked about it. Uh, so, uh, what do you? What's your wisdom on this? I just want to make one very brief comment on the previous discussion first, and, and therefore kill the rest of the the twenty minutes. Yeah, no, I know <laughs> that trick. No, no, oh, he's crafty. Brief, this one, my super brief comment is. <laughs> Just when you guys were sort of lamenting the fact that Democrats seem not to maybe not paying enough attention to the Secretary of State and other things, and, and maybe even donors aren't and stuff, as I and I agree, it's something maybe people listening to this will will get 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 more well, motivated. Yeah, but that's only Republican ten million donors, people. What about everybody? Else? Republican donors. But this reminds me so much. Sarah Longwell and I sit in the office and we discuss something, and Democrats don't seem to be quite attentive as, as the way they could be to this. And then we always tell ourselves, but you know, they know what they're doing. They've won the presidency all these times. They win the popular vote. They 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 won half the Senate and stuff. They're, they're a major party, so we. I'm sure. I'm sure they've got it worked out. Then we go to a meeting individually with different Democrats that were, you know, either in person or on Zoom or something. You know, donors or organized groups or public interest groups or whatever. And we come back. We say, oof, you know, I'm not, I think maybe they're not fully un- that, that our cons- we we aren't reassured. And I feel like listening to you two lament the fact that. The idea that the National Democratic Party isn't focused like a laser on the governorships in those key states, Michigan. Mm-hmm. I think they are a little more on that. Michigan. Uh, yes, uh, yes, yes. And so forth. Uh, Pennsylvania and uh, Wisconsin. But on the secretaries of state does make me, you're not reassuring me about that. We, I think Democrats are focused on those governorships. There's a particular challenges, you know, uh, they have incumbents in Wisconsin and Michigan and, and Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania uh, is, is term limited out he won't be the candidate, but uh, you know if the if the uh, atmosphere is inhospitable, inhospitable not only to Democrats but to incumbents. Yeah. In yeah. 2022, you know that that's a particular burden. That's the flip side of the uh, value of having elected these people in 2018. But anyway, go ahead. No, that's a fair point. Yeah. Axel, will, will you pass what remains of your 10 foot? joint to to bill one to make him feel better and then two so we can kind of get him to talk about your your okay so question. i'm gonna talk right now but dan quill had a very bad idea i think that's why he's drifting i think and, he got and, somewhere it, and what i learned <laughs> getting a contact high over there i joined him in the bush white house i mean i'd say vice presidents have a tough job as you guys know in the sense that um if you're a governor and you have a bad start or you have some staff turmoil in the first six months or you get blamed for one or two things you either should or shouldn't get blamed for you can fix it. I mean, two years later, people can look up and say, yeah, a little bit of a rocky start, but you know what? The state's, in, he's doing a good job. He passed this legislation. He did that. Senators can do the same. I came to Washington to work for Bill Bennett as Secretary of Education. Whether you agree with him or not, or whatever one thinks now of his uh, unfortunate move to be a, a Trump apologist, uh, he had a very rocky start as Secretary of Education. There was talk about he'd only last a few months. He'd be like Jim Watt. He'd be dumped. And then he straightened it out. He picked two or three issues that he could focus on. And again, he had some criticism from the left, but he was a 
kind of popular and, uh, you know, was a bigger education secretary than is typically the case. And you guys have seen this happen in a million different roles. But when you're a cabinet secretary, a governor or a senator, you, you can step out and do something and make a name for yourself that's a little different from the name that's been slapped on you as, you know, goofing up, you know, being, uh, making mistakes or, or being a drag on the ticket or, or not up to the job or whatever. Very hard to do that as vice president because you're not really in charge of anything. And it's, you know, you got to give the president the, the credit and you should. And, 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 then the White House typically, and you, you guys can speak about this more. I mean, in, uh, you know, their top priority is the president, not the vice president. They don't, I, in our case, they didn't undercut us at all. And I assume the Biden team isn't doing that at all. But they don't necessarily, they don't get up every morning thinking, how do we bolster the vice president? Since at the end of the day, it doesn't matter that much, you know, in, in terms of the overall administration. Except so far as in this case, you know, because of, of Biden's age, and he yes, says he's so going to run again, exactly we'll right. see. This Instead of his point. age, she, you, they were not just appointing a vice president, they were appointing a putative front runner for president. And that, that's what makes us, that's what, I mean, that makes why you dealt with small potatoes. Well, yeah, so think of it, I think this is more like the second no, term. No potato joke, man. There. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. You're really, he's yeah. good at this kind of stuff. You yeah. know, Herschel Walker's <laughs> running to the end zone, <laughs> yes. no potato joke. Yeah, all the you corny should do a dad jokes. Or something. Yeah. You should do a podcast or something and use it. Bill, don't feed the animals, okay? Don't, <laughs> don't, don't feed the animals, okay? <laughs> good point. This is like, final point, this is like a vice president's second term normally when the person's being evaluated as a potential president because of Biden's age, obviously. And if you think about vice president's second term, George H.W. Bush had a very rough time. Remember, didn't Newsweek have some cover? He's a wimp or something like yep. that. Yes, and, yeah. And mm-hmm. Gore had this challenges a little bit with the money and stuff in 97, 98. And, um, so I think you're right that the scrutiny sh- she's getting, Vice President Harris is getting, is is fairly, I mean, I think it's a fair thing, but it's different from the normal first-term vice president when no one thinks it matters too much uh, how, how he, or she or, he or she is doing. And so, uh, and that's a, you know, and that's tough if you've just moved into the job and suddenly it's like, is, is, you know, is she up to taking over the presidency this quickly? So I think this narrative is becoming much more prevalent. I mean, I was a little shocked maybe two weeks ago, the Post writes this story, a way of getting into it, like, who's going to run in, I love how they put it in 2024 or 2028. This is Pete versus uh, Kamala. And I thought like, okay, isn't it a little early to be right? Even even with the oldest president, isn't it a little early? I, I'm struck two weeks later, they come back and and basically write a whole other vice presidential story. I think this is this is a narrative that, whether the West Wing or others in the White House want to deal with it has to be dealt with. I do think Bill mentions there's a portfolio problem. Um, and, I, and I don't mean it's just like, oh, she has to deal with migration of the northern Central American countries. Um, you know, yes, that's enormously difficult. But even the the portfolio that she asked for voting rights, I, I mean, there's nobody, the three of us on this podcast, but there's nobody else that's sitting in Washington thinking, we're about to fix voting rights in this country, right? And and I mean, and this idea that well, if Joe Biden, would good, just, but it, yeah. it would be great. It just it you know Joe Biden is going to relinquish hold of the Senate's um, fascination with the filibuster. I don't know that the people that are holding this up are waiting for Joe Biden to tell them it's okay not to do it. I don't think Joe yeah, Manchin she, is. She has not been set up to succeed. No, I and mean, I, think I think it's fair to the, the, and, the Biden thing that that you know B- Biden had a job to to Bill's point. Biden had a job in in our administration, David, that went directly to the building of what Obama wanted yeah. and needed to be yes, done for yes, in yes, recovery. Yes. So it wasn't like he had to do out of the way cheerleading on something that was tangential to what he cared about, but was important to the president. He was he was he was directly in line of what, quite frankly, was one of our biggest initiatives, particularly early on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also think too, I, I do say I think they're handling this. Um, enormously poorly. And I I'm not blaming staff for leaving the White House. I would never do that. You, you and I, David, understand. Bill, you do as well. Like, it ages you uh, in ways that, that's really hard to understand. Um, it's a grueling job. But if you know that you've got a narrative problem in the vice president's office around staffing, and then two people are announcing at the end of the year they're going to leave, don't you figure out who's going to be Who's going to replace them and announce them all at the same time? Like, how do you, in some ways, you have to help per, not to perpetuate the challenge that's going on here. Well, and, I think and then part of, part of, part of it, Robert, 
just just in the interest of time, part of it is, uh, uh, you know, we've talked about all the things, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that there are challenges associated with being a historic first, and you do get judged through sure. a different lens. Some of this is our own fault, and it has to be said, and we'd be remiss if we didn't say it. Uh, some of it has to do with, you know, I mean, she's had problems historically with staff. She hasn't performed well. Uh, in some of her public outings. And anybody who doesn't say that is just not telling the truth. So she needs to be yeah. introspective as well as uh, examining uh, the, you know, the, the staff and, and, and complaining about, uh, I think, fairly that she hasn't gotten uh, uh, any kind of assignments that set her up to win. All right, hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. And now a word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I've experienced those moments in my life, both professionally and personally, and it's important to have people you can reach out to, professional help, and that's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Now, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit BetterHelp.com slash hacks. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. And there's a special offer for Hacks on Tap listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com dot com slash hacks the other thing bill that i wanted to tax your expertise on it may be too weighty for a hacky conversation like we like to engage in but as we speak uh the president is engaged in a really serious uh, exchange with Vladimir Putin, who seems poised to invade Ukraine again. And uh, Jerry Seib in the journal wrote a column this morning, you may have uh, seen it, in which he said, uh, you know, not only is Biden facing this, but the menacing of Taiwan by China, the 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 perhaps the intimate, Im- imminent breakdown of the Iran nuclear uh, uh, agreement. How much foreign policy trouble is he sailing into here? It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm worried about the, the state of the world. Some of it's not his fault. Some of it, I think he, he's invited a little bit by certain things his administration has or hasn't done. But I mean, we all know this. These things can rise up very suddenly and become very dominating for as Afghanistan did for a couple of weeks or for a month or two. And then the after effects, of course, don't go away just because they go out of the news headlines either. And I think for all that the American public allegedly doesn't focus on foreign policy and doesn't think it's crucial and 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 doesn't vote on it, I've always thought that it's it, you you need this, a sense of reasonable mastery and competence to reassure people. And conversely, if you don't have that, Jimmy Carter situation again, fairly or unfairly, it can really damage your presidency uh, and and your clout. As witnessed by the fact that Afghanistan did hurt Biden, yeah. even though he did the popular thing, but the execution of it really hurt him. I mean, my concern, Robert, is for him it would be, I think what he's suffering right now is uh, from more than anything is a sense that things are out of control a little. The virus is out of control. The economy and, you know, inflation, the supply chain, uh, you know, there's disorderliness in the Congress. There's, and, uh, and it plays into the scenario, into the the meme, the negative meme that that his opponents want to run at him. That 
he's just not up to it, that he's just not able to control events. If these things happen around the world and America's response seems, uh, you know, ineffectual, doesn't that contribute to, I mean, that would be my concern. Particularly because many of the things you just intoned are exactly the reasons he ran for president and stated that he was running for president. As you were, you two were talking, I wrote down on, on my pad here, competent strength and chaos, because uh, I think those are, are a lot of what he's being judged on right now. Um, now, let's put this through the filter of somebody who's going to make irrational decisions like Vladimir Putin. Um, but I think I think it's hard to, to underestimate how important this video call probably is as, you know, 90,000 troops amassed on the border, 175, according to U.S. intelligence, are headed there by spring. Um, it what shouldn't be lost on anybody that U.S. intelligence read that out very clearly over the weekend to set up this call with Vladimir yeah. Putin because yeah. I think they understand not just the geopolitics of this, but I think, as you mentioned, the other politics, which is, again, the competence and the strength arguments here and just the idea of let's not, you know, let's not have another thing that looks like it's uncontrollable or out of U.S. or presidential control. I think all that is downside. Now, the stakes have been raised. So, yeah, I mean, and one thing I disagree with you on, I think Putin is an absolutely rational player. I mean, I think Putin knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, and, uh, you know, the question is whether, uh, Biden can give him a rational reason to feel like the cost of doing it is higher than the, than the benefits of, 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 of doing it. And, uh, no, no doubt. Yeah. But I th- remember that if Putin has pushed a bunch of chips in the middle of the table in the form of 175,000 soldiers camping in, in the cold wilderness yeah, right. and, you know, short of, you know, the, the question I guess for, for Biden and others will be short of you know, uh, a, a NATO response or direct military assistance. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of big decisions that are, are, were made certainly prior to this call and will be made directly after it. Because I agree, I, you know, I, I, I think you've got to make him uh, more rational in those decisions. I feel we got to take the mail, but I feel like I should give the old cold warrior a, uh, a say in this. No, I mean, I, I think we're paying some price for Afghanistan, again, whether or not it was the right decision for the perception of it. And a general sense, even on, on Russia and, and other related issues that we've occasionally issued warnings, but then we haven't quite followed through. Uh, and so hopefully Putin is deterred. And I think Biden, the Biden administration has been trying to do that. Uh, I, but let's let's hope for the best, honestly. He's trying to send Putin a message and we've got plenty of messages ourselves. A lot of follow-up questions to that, but I'll let them go. I'll let them go. <laughs> the uh, address is hacksontap at gmail.com. If you've been provoked by this really uh, extraordinary conversation, uh, send your questions in uh, next week, and we will uh, answer. We're on next week, aren't we? We're not taking our holiday break yet, are we? No, I don't think so. But I think we talked about doing kind of a year-end, like, we did. just do mailbag questions. So I would tell people... If Bill has sparked a, a thought of, of needing to ask us a question, uh, send it in because even if we don't use it next week, we're gathering them for the big year-end mailbag extravaganza. Uh, okay. Bill, Nancy asks, everywhere I go, there are signs for help wanted, and that is that is true. What is causing these problems and what can be done uh, on a more long-term basis to fix it between the cost of childcare, low wages, although they're rising, it is no longer worth it for people. Is it no longer worth it for people to work? And wouldn't it be a time to put our immigration house in order to get more workers into the pipeline? Here's a chance for you to further uh, alienate yourself from your former base there. Totally. I, I am pro, I've become much, much more pro-immigration in the last decade, just looking at some of the data, both in terms of economic effects and also, I think, broader effects. And this is the moment with a labor shortage and wages going up, where you can let in, uh, and having had a very artificial, partly due to Trump and partly due to the pandemic, restrictions on immigration for two or three, really for three, four years, five years almost. Uh, I'd be very liberal on immigration. Now, whether you can get stuff through Congress, I don't know. But Biden can do quite a lot himself. And he's been very reluctant. Maybe he's right about the politics. You just can't afford to look but I don't know the dreamers, the the some of the at least the work visas for people. I mean, I just think it, it's a good time to make the liberal case on immigration. He said other priorities, 
But I hope people do do it much more in the next few months and do some actions as well as making the case. You know, Crystal makes so much sense that I'm going to have to take another toke because this is disorienting for me <laughs> uh, to hear him articulate positions that, uh, that I share. Gibbs, Conrad wants to know, do you think this, and this is an important question, do you think the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade, which they apparently are poised to do, uh, would mobilize enough voters for Democrats to hold on to a House majority next year? Uh, it is a Conrad it is a great question. There was a, an interesting piece in Politico, uh, I think, over the weekend uh, with Democratic strategists sort of arguing amongst themselves, many of them believing that this is not going to be a huge change. I, I, I think that um, and, and some of them pointed to to, you know, polling that asks sort of what's the most important issue and 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 abortion and choice are are much farther down or they they point to what happened in Virginia um i i i think that it is inconclusive yet but i'm i'm reticent to write off as this piece did that it won't have a pretty big impact and i think part of that reason is if you were in the Virginia governor's race and you were talking about Wait, something- Wait, so you were reticent not to write- This is like a Trump statement. I'm trying to tangle through the double negatives here. What does that mean? Are you? I, can you, I finish my answer before I get corrected? No, I mean, no, what I'm, the I'm, fuck? I mean, no, no, I'm just trying to get to the core no, of What it. I'm saying is I would not write off the idea that this can be an important issue for Democrats to use in 2022 okay. simply because uh, uh, based on both what happened in Virginia. Uh, again, I, I, I think I think Democrats have used this idea of here's what's happened in Texas and thought, well, that would animate the rest of the 49 states. And I don't think it will. I think that the challenge and the interesting thing to watch will be we we have talked in the past about what if what if there's a supreme court that does this what if there's a case that could allow them to overturn it it will be fundamentally different in june or july of next year when the supreme court overturns a huge chunk of roe v wade and let's be clear it's not a matter of if it's a matter of what and when right Th- this is listening to that oral argument it's pretty clear also think david that what you will have in addition to that is I think you're going to have another Supreme Court vacancy next summer. So I do think the Supreme Court, the cases, and I think choice will have I, – I do think it has a much bigger potential than this piece talked about uh, that that it, that it won't because it, it isn't on the list right now. All right. Okay. I agreed with you each time you made that point. But uh, <laughs> I can hardly wait to get your question because whatever you say, I'm going to disagree. I just want the listeners to to pre know well, that, that. That may be too bad because we've just run out of time. I'm sorry, Robert Gibbs. No, I these guys I, are I, so cute when they squabble. Really uh, <laughs> touching. No, all I would say is I honestly don't know the. And I said it in that political piece. I don't know the answer to this. Abortion rights has never been the mobilization tool for Democrats that Democrats hoped it would be, right. uh, expected it would be. But we've never had Roe versus Wade dismantled in 50 years, so we don't know. And in those suburban areas that are particular battlegrounds, the question is, do you get 2018-like numbers among particularly women voters, not exclusive to them in those areas? We, we just have to wait and see. Just to be clear for the record, isn't that just what I said? I don't know. I'd have to pick through the word salad and find that. <laughs> or, or just listen. Or just, or just listen. <laughs> anyway. Put the dope down and just like turn up the volume on the headset. No, I need more now. I, I need more. I'm going to say I'll save my questions for the big extravaganza at the end, just so Gibbs doesn't have a chance to heckle me. Oh, I'm going to correct you anyway. Before we go, and in, 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 in all seriousness, uh, we, we lost a, a, a couple of uh, great Americans this week. Uh, one is is Bob Dole, uh, the former senator from Kansas, who you knew well, uh, Bill, and uh, served with uh, when you were in the White House, and he was the Senate uh, leader. Uh, really, uh, you know, when I when I heard the news that he had gone, it wasn't just that we had lost an American hero, but in some ways, it felt to me like you know the passing, the the maybe the final passing of an era because in our politics. He was a guy who fought side by side with uh, his fellow Americans, got grievously injured, recovered with Senator Dan Inouye, who he would later serve with in the Senate. Uh, And uh, even though he was a fierce 
partisan combatant. He, he, he thought of himself first as an American. He thought of his, his political opponents as opponents and not enemies. Uh, he understood that compromise was required of democracy. Uh, those are virtues to be celebrated and are, are, uh, are being sorely missed right now. Yeah, it's just an impressive, I mean, very capable Senate, senator and senator, Senate leader, one of the giants of that, you know, generation that goes from uh, way back, obviously, but people I admired as a kid, Hubert Humphrey and Scoop Jackson when I was a Cold War Democrat, and then uh, Howard Baker and Bob Dole, John McCain. I saw the clip of John McCain, uh, I've forgotten this, that he nominated Bob Dole at the 1996 Republican convention. And you thought seeing the two of them, you know, in succession, uh, that it's it's sad that they're gone and they live good lives and long lives. It's not sad in that sense, but we could use people like that today, and we don't we don't have many. And uh, also, I just want to mention the the passing of Fred Hyatt, the editorial uh, board uh, uh, director of the Washington Post, who I know was a good friend of yours. It happened suddenly. It's a it's a loss to the Post and and to uh, many others who have benefited from uh, all the the great work that he's produced there. Yeah, wonderful guy, wonderful person, and a incredibly staunch defender of an advocate of human rights, democracy at home and abroad, really, and 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 it's even including at moments when it wasn't quite as fashionable. So yes, very much miss, uh, but really a wonderful person. Yeah, Bill Crystal, it's always a pleasure to be with you. I don't know what the future of democracy is, but I'm happy to fight for it side by side with you, despite some of your crazy views of the past and perhaps of the present. Uh, there's nothing more important than the than the than democracy itself. So thanks for joining us. And Gibbs, I, I love you too. I love you too. Same here. And thanks. <laughs> I wouldn't go to the love stuff too much. That's kind of democratic, you know. That, you want to be over here. You got the Democrats you squabble play. and they, they squabble and, and and fight, and then it's oh, but I really love you. You know, we're I'm, we're a little more restrained here on the Republican. Okay, Republican side. Cancel the flowers. All you're going to get is a thank <laughs> you. Then, okay. See you guys. Bye, guys. Thank you.